0: This is the Press Box. I bought the I bought the package at the tire store that I go to. With Graney and Bischoff. Where I can go back and get a fix for free all the time <laughs> if you pay the, the extra money. That's how many times I get a nail in
1: my tire. <laughs> On ESPN Las Vegas. Man, I sounded like, was that me in a wind tunnel? What was that? You're in a wind tunnel? That was, that was Millsy. Was that Millsy? Yeah. Man. Did you did you buy a package for your tires because you keep running over nails? I don't remember that. I mean I could
2: okay. have. I, I I've, I've had some I've had some nail I've had some nail he issues. Could have. I could have. I've had some. Wait, nail have you issues. recently
1: had nails in your tire?
2: No, but in the past. Oh you know what okay. I had recently was the um air light come on and I was very uh very worried, so went over to the place, you know, that gives you the free air and I thought, you know, I had flats and the guy goes, Nope, weather changed. I forgot about that. Weather changes; it affects the tires. I just bought uh, tires like six months ago.
1: Enough to make your tires
2: That's deflate? what the guy, hey. That's yeah. what the
1: guy said. And no, I, bare, I mean
0: barometric pressure does make
1: your but, tires change. But enough to make your car tell you your tires are flat.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I thought they were flat, and that I that said, happened. "Wait a minute!
2: I'm headed back there. I just spent so much money on four new tires six months ago. This can't be true." Pull in.
1: Uh, I have a. I have a theory. Oh god. Uh, oh no. The, 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 About this? The tire place, the tire place next door to us throws nails in the road.
2: Oh, that's cuz you've had so many nails.
1: Yeah, and my uh, uh my dad uh who picks me up from work every now and then, he he ran over a nail last week. So, I think they're throwing uh nails in the road so that people get flats and have to come get them fixed there.
2: He ran over a nail by the house?
1: He he doesn't know where, but one day, the was like, I got a nail in my tire. I got to go get this fixed. And the day he had driven previously was by our studio. So that's my theory, is they throw nails out so that people run them over and that they have to come get them fixed.
2: Well, it's kind of creative.
1: I mean, that mm, guarantee business. Yeah. Except
0: for people like me who are just going to be like, well, it's flat. I'm still driving. <laughs> <laughs> the First bite. The first bite is brought to you by the VGK Insiders on Fox Sports, Las Vegas. Was Bill Foley the one that fired Pete DeBoer? I'm going to say Bill Foley
2: agreed and gave the rubber stamp, but I'm going to say GMGM and GMKM were the ones that came up with the idea that Pete needed to go in their minds. I don't think Foley called them and said, hey, We need to fire Pete DeBoer. I think they came to him. In fact, uh, well, I mean, some of these press conferences, I don't know what I believe, but um, Kelly McCrimmon did say that he met with McPhee. They agreed. They took it to Foley, and uh, and that was that.
1: I'm going to give you two reasons why I think it might have been Bill Foley that did this. Uh, The first one are quotes that he gave two weeks ago to David Shane, Uh, one of which was, this time, after all these years, I've got a few specific ideas of things that I believe need to be accomplished. If I'm being very transparent, I'm going to be active. The very first move this organization makes after the owner says I'm going to be active is to fire the head yeah, coach. Yeah,
2: I thought he meant next season.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, I thought.
2: Well, I thought he meant the off season. Yeah, and next I, season, I, I, I don't think he fired. I hear you
1: him. too. The other part of this is that if I'm George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon, this is this is what I'm curious to know about those two at the moment. If I'm McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon, am I operating from a standpoint of what gives the Golden Knights the best chance to win the Stanley Cup? Or am I operating from a standpoint of what gives me the best chance to keep my job? And if I'm McPhee and McCrimmon, and I'm, my main goal is to keep my job, I would have kept Pete DeBoer around because if they keep Pete DeBoer around and next season they get off to a bad start or at any point in the year, they have a bad stretch and their playoff chances are not looking great or they're just simply not first in the division or something like that, they could fire Pete DeBoer then and that would be like a, a meat shield for them all of next year if something went poorly. But now that DeBoer has been fired, if things go poorly next season, y- you can't look at the new head coach who's been there for 25 games. Or whatever well,
2: hold on now. I mean, you can't. <laughs> can, I mean, with these
1: guys, <laughs> eventually you're going to look at the front office and say, hold on, this is the third guy in six years. You guys keep trying to blame them and in injuries. At some point, it's going to come back to McPhee and McCrimmon. If things go poorly. So I I don't know exactly the mindset McPhee and McCrimmon operate from. If they're simply saying what's best to win the Stanley cup, then yeah. All right. They, they might've fired Pete DeBoer. But if, if those two guys are in job preservation mode, it doesn't make sense to fire Pete DeBoer for them because that's a meat shield for them. If Uh, things go poorly next season,
2: I'm not so sure McPhee thinks he's ever going to be in trouble. McCrimmon on the other hand, uh, (laughs) there had to be quotes in the newspaper saying he was coming back. Um, I think McCrimmon's involved in a lot of things uh, on a day-to-day basis. And uh, the other thing we don't know um, and we won't ever know is, and I, I'm not so sure this should be the deciding factor because I think as the GM, McCrimmon needs to decide this himself. Uh, he met with every player as well. And we don't really know the message he got from the players, this whole new voice thing, this whole fresh voice thing. So you line up 20-some-odd players, and they all come in, and a majority say, well, you know, we love him, he's a great coach, but, you know, the message getting old or still, whatever they would have said, I don't know, because I'm still confused about the new voice and the new fresh voice anyway. Um, So that could have had something to do with his mindset also. I don't think it necessarily should. I think as the GM, you have to make this decision based on what you believe. Um, I just think Foley rubber-stamped it. I I I think they came to him, like McCrimmon said, he and McPhee, and said, we want to make the move, and he wasn't going to fight that. And, Again, I didn't agree with the firing, but if I'm the owner and the two guys come to me and say, we need a fresh voice, we need a new, you know, we need something new, I'm not so sure I'm declining that. I'm probably going along with them on that.
1: I would like to imagine that McCrimmon met with all the players and the ones that said, Yeah, I'd like to keep Pete around are the ones he's gonna trade in the offseason.
2: <laughs> Hello, Max. This is uh this is George. <laughs> This is Kelly. This is Kelly Max. Uh you you loved Pete. Uh we've moved you to Ottawa. Uh, auto. <laughs>
1: oh, and and Max Patrick he says, hold on, they're on my no trade list. So exactly. you're not doing
2: that. Exactly. They're on my 10 days. <laughs> no, now. no, have, no. Have you checked
0: he, that? It goes through. And then he
2: goes yes.
1: You guys know that's on my no trade <laughs> oh, list, right?
2: Uh, we've never made that mistake.
1: That would be terrific if that happened again. <laughs> Let's see. These are these are the players. Um Mark Stone has a full no-movement clause. They can't do anything with him. Pacioretty has a 10-team. William Carlson has a 10-team. Jonathan Marcheseau has an 8-team. Evgeny Dodonov has a 10-team. Alex Petrangelo, full. He can't be be moved anywhere without his approval. Uh, Alec Martinez, he has a 16-team no-trade clause. Robin Leonard has an uh, 8-team no-trade clause. So they've got a lot of uh, semi-no-trade clauses on this team for a lot of guys that they could potentially be trying to trade to get under the salary cap.
2: Daddy has more than Marchie?
1: He does. Wow. Cause, yeah, because yeah Marchessault goes down again. He's got eight, and then in a couple years, it goes down to five. Wow. All right. So, yeah. Right, that surprises well, me. If well, William remember, Carlson it, has
2: 10, and Marshall has eight.
1: Well, the Golden Knights didn't know if Kenny <laughs> DeTonadov <laughs> had a 10-team-no-trade clause. <laughs> They didn't think that was real until about 2 months ago. So, they didn't think anything of it. So those are your no movement clauses or no trade clauses that the Golden Knights uh I I assume they know about, right? I assume if well, the Golden Knights They better know about to, it
2: now after the last blunder.
1: If they try to trade one of those players this offseason, they have to call that player before actually sending the trade to the NHL, yes, right? Insane. Like Is they're this gonna, on your list or at least their agent be like, "All right, patch we're moving you." what teams are on yeah, exactly. your list? can
2: you send we, that via fax
1: we know you submitted it to us but we just wanted to double check what teams are on your list okay good you're going to winnipeg now like it's oh that would be incredible if they trade a guy with a no movement clause or a no trade clause and they send him somewhere that might be on his list That's going to be so much fun i can't wait for that to happen
2: i wonder if Foley, who, again, I've never really known. Um, I think he puts impeccable trust in McPhee. I don't think there's any question about that. And he obviously has been around McCree, McPhee and McCrimmon now for a long time. When he said, we need to make a few adjustments, is that him repeating what McPhee and McCrimmon are saying, maybe like the style or the system or what they need to make? I, just, um, I don't do you- know how much... <laughs> I don't know how much – he doesn't know as much as them about hockey, obviously, and that's fine. But I don't know exactly if it's more trusting them of what he said and it's like, yeah, we need to make a few adjustments here. You know, we got to – I don't like that system and I don't like this and that. But is that more them telling him that?
1: So basically we're, we're hyperanalyzing the word we. Like when he says we, does he simply mean the Vegas Golden Knights need to make a few adjustments? Or does he mean we, George McPhee, Kelly McCrimmon, and Bill Foley – Need to make a few adjustments. I, yeah, I, I think you, that could be right. I mean, if he's basically saying, hey, yeah, these are, these are the adjustments we need to make. And by we, he means me and my two guys in the front office that I trust or one of the guys, whatever it is. Yeah, that's, that could very well be what it is. But that would not be him being more active. That would him basically be, No,
2: that'd be him again. Is that? he going to, is he going to really you know, um, go against them in the hockey form of of the hockey situation in terms of systems and and what they feel, how they need to get back to how they want to play. Is he really going to make adjustments on that stuff? I I don't really – I'm not really gathering what he meant by we need to make a few adjustments other than they're telling him we don't want to play this way, we have to get back to what we were, the whole four lines. I mean, maybe – and here's the other thing we haven't thought about. Maybe he's also reading and hearing too much about the salary cap. You know what I mean? Maybe he's he's like, look. I don't want to hear about it. I mean, I don't want to hear about this thing anymore. That's all I'm reading and hearing about. Can't we get this under control? Maybe the salary cap is, you know, we need to make a few adjustments. I don't know. I read that and I'm like, that could be a lot of things.
1: He's getting called into meetings every week with their capologist who's trying to explain what they need to do to get under the salary cap. And Foley's like, I don't want to hear from this guy anymore. I don't even want to know he's on the organization next year. Dear God, get us under the salary cap and just keep us under the salary cap like a normal team. Yeah, Maybe that's what it is. He's just tired of meetings with the capologist on the team.
2: That could be it. I don't... (laughs) The- I, I read all those quotes, and I just—I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't know a lot about it. I get that. But he bought the team. He hired McPhee, who obviously was the hockey guy. I still think he trusts Right. And I the just, hockey guy. Well, and I just don't think he's going against them when it comes to strategy or makeup of a team or what they believe will get them to the Stanley Cup. Like, I, I don't believe that.
1: I— the- the quote he gave two weeks ago, um, when he said we need to make a few adjustment adjustments, there's not going to be the crazy kind of stuff you've seen in the past. Now isn't
2: that? Couldn't that be the cap?
1: I think I think that's what we all took that to mean. That well, that and the idea that they're always going to sign the big name player, right? Right. That they, right. That, oh, you're already over the salary cap. Ah, oh, I'm going to trade for Jack Eichel anyways. I, I think that's what everybody took it to mean. But kind of looking back now, I feel like Pete DeBoer firing your head coach isn't just a few adjustments like i know we all took it to mean the roster and stuff but i feel like firing your head coach is more than just oh we need to make a few adjustments that's that falls more into the hey that's a kind of crazy stuff yeah that that's you usually the, do. the crazy
2: kind of stuff that's what uh, i that's what i think it's a few adjustments are you know the the in inference there are small things tweaks here and there to get you to the point mm-hmm. where you know the team they thought you were firing the coach is a pretty big thing.
0: Yeah, yeah You normally send the coach to Canada and say he'll coach from there.
1: The problem with the problem with him saying few adjustments too is they have to make some significant moves. <laughs> like yeah. they're, they're over the salary cap for next year. They can't just go in the next year and be like, all right, we. We uh, traded Will Carrier, and we signed another forward for $1.2 million. Right. Like That that would be a, a minor adjustment. But they, they've got to like trade Max Pacioretty, which would not just be a little adjustment like he's talking about. So they can't really even go into next season and just make some small adjustments. They've got to do something fairly significant. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll be over the cap. They'll be, an illegal, they'll be an illegal team to start next year.
2: Well, unless we know Robin Leonard and others have gone back on the list. But, and-
1: got it. Here's the thing with long-term IR. You have to be under the cap before you use long-term IR. So like in like if Leonard was going to be injured to start the year, they've got to be under the cap on day one of the season. Then they put him on long-term IR. Then they can use the extra cap space that long-term IR gives you. So they still they're going to have to do something before day one of the season. Now, once day one of the season comes around, if they've got three well, guys that are hurt already, already. They, can, they can go trade for whoever Jack Eichel 2.0 is next year. But it, to start the year, you've got to be legal with the cap before I mean, you use long-term IR.
2: Don't you think Foley kind of has that that feeling of the misfits and remembers that first year? And maybe these few adjustments are, I want more Nate Schmitz and I don't want more of the high price guys.
1: Maybe. I mean, yeah, it might be as simple as that. He's like, hey, where's... And maybe it just might be, hey, can we get this William Carlson guy to score 43 again? (laughs) Yeah. Stop scoring 12 in a year. Give me 43 and things will be okay. Team would be a lot better if they had a guy that just scored 43. So they're going to trade William Carlson. (laughs) They are. He's gone. Make a lot of sense. Coming up next, we'll jump into the NBA because... We're never getting a close game the rest of the way. You're in the Press Box with Tyler Bischoff and NSMA Nevada
0: Sports Writer of the Year, Ed Greeney.
3: It may
2: not mean nothing to y'all, but understand nothing was done for me. So I don't plan on stopping it all. I'm convinced
1: we're not getting a close NBA game the rest I of know.
2: the playoffs. We said that yesterday. You said that yesterday, and it's like, yeah, we'll get one, and then what a disaster last night.
1: Okay. Guess what I did again? Fourth quarter, walked my dog. This is like oh, yeah. three nights in a row. Sure. I walked my you're dog. You're not even, you're not even the waiting. Quarter. No, it's over. They're up like 24. It's like, uh, yeah, like I, I always tell Brandy, she's like, yeah, when do you want to walk Ruby? And I'm like, well, when the NBA game's over. And then it's over before the fourth yeah. quarter starts. And I'm like, all right, we might as well go. It's brutal. Give me a like, just give me an interesting. It, they can they can play poorly. Just give me like an interesting final four minutes for once. Is it we've had. We had back-to-back game 7s. They both sucked. And now we've had back-to-back game 1s of the conference and finals both been tough. and they both suck. Ah, this is, this is terrible. The NBA playoffs. Get, this is why people like hockey better. All 7 of those people. Well, this is why
2: <laughs> 7 of those people.
1: Right, cuz those those sports can be more they're they're closer. Even even when Colorado dominates St. Louis, they still have to go to overtime to do it to win. That's a stupid sport. It's better than basketball, apparently. Um, so the Warriors won. And by the way, we're apparently just getting a, a run here of basketball games where all that matters is the third quarter. Just show yeah. up for the third quarter and, and you win. They had a nine-point halftime lead. They dominated the third and had a 19-point lead going into the fourth or fourth quarter yesterday. Um, here's my main question for you. As Ruby is, uh, Ruby's not happy either with again. the NBA. Um are the Mavericks going to be able to stop the Warriors' offense? You know what?
2: I don't know, but the problem's going to be, can the Mavericks keep up? Because last night, if they're going to shoot like that, it won't matter if they can stop the Warriors' offense.
1: I don't think it's going to matter if they start shooting better based on the way they play defense And that. Here's... Here, The first half of that game, nobody could knock down a three, right? Golden State was five of 18, and Dallas yeah, and was seven of 29.
2: Clay were terrible in the first yeah, half.
1: Yeah, I don't think Clay Thompson had a point
2: in the first half of
1: the game. Neither team could shoot, but the main difference was that on non-three-pointers, Golden oh, yeah, State they were got of... whatever it wanted. They were 11 of 13, 13 in the paint. They were six of eight from the mid-range, and... They could, like, they got anything they wanted inside the arc. And in that third quarter, as soon as they started to knock down some threes, the game was over. Like, that was it. The game was done. Now, like, Dallas can win some games with three point shooting, but that's kind of their only path to victory. And the problem with that is Golden State's a good three point shooting team, too. So there's not even a level. Like, the Phoenix Suns don't shoot a lot of threes. So if Dallas blitzes them with, like, 20 threes in a game, the Suns don't have a chance, but if Dallas hits 23s in a game, Golden State might hit 23s as well, and then it becomes what? How else can you score? And the Warriors had no problem getting no, they every got what, shot. They got everything yard. they wanted. So, I'm I watched Game One, and I'm like, all right, yeah, the Warriors are going to shoot. I mean, excuse me, the Golden States or Dallas the is going to shoot, shoot better. better than that. <laughs> I'll figure <with> the team <laughs> out eventually. Dallas is going to shoot better in this series but I don't think it matters if their defense gets torched okay. like that. It's not like they're not going to win a game, even if they knock down a bunch of threes because golden state just got whatever shot they wanted. And you're not going to beat them if that's how you defend them.
2: Where else can they win a matchup? Cause Kenny Smith at halftime made a good point. He goes, okay, if you just take Steph and Luca and just make it a wash, he went down every matchup. He didn't have, he didn't have Dallas win in one other matchup.
1: Yeah, no, there there's not. I mean, they're in the Western conference finals. Jalen Brunson has been good, but I, I made fun of it at the beginning of the playoffs. Jalen Brunson as your second best player is not good enough. And Brunson wasn't very good yesterday. And there's not – I mean, I'm probably taking Andrew Wiggins over Jalen Brunson, right? I mean, yeah, he, right now like, you are.
2: You, Last night you definitely he'd did. Be
1: the, right. He'd be like the fifth best player at Golden State. So that's the massive problem. And that's why it was pretty surprising that they were able to beat Phoenix. And maybe it's more about Phoenix falling apart because right, you would have right. – I mean, you would have taken Chris Paul and Devin Booker yes. over Jalen Brunson and and then Spencer Dinwiddie was suddenly good. So I think it's a matter of Luke going to have to have some ridiculous games and they're going to have to have their uh, their role players knock down a ridiculous amount of threes. And though we've we've obviously seen that happen quite a few times, they'll win a game or two doing that. I just don't see a real path for them winning four. That unless their defense gets significantly better from game
2: one well they're not going to do they're not going to win four if luca has 20 on six of 18 shooting yeah,
1: that's not very good no that's not very good at all um which i guess maybe he was hammered do we give the do we give the warriors a bunch of deep credit defensively for that
2: uh i don't know he just didn't look very good i mean i thought wiggins and others did a good job matching up with them and i thought they did do a good job but he just didn't look – none of them looked very good. I mean, that, the, the shooting – and here's the thing about it. At least early on, they were open shots. I mean, when they interviewed kid, he was right. He goes, they're good shots. They just can't make them. So if the Mavericks are going to do that, they have no chance. They, it wasn't like a lot of those shots were contested, at least in the first half that I saw. They got open shots, and they just couldn't make them. So they have no chance if that happens.
1: Did you see the photo of Luka supposedly drinking beer yeah, before that the game? Was, <laughs> that's, that wasn't before that game.
2: I, I, so, I believe in Dallas on that.
1: Some random guy tweeted out a picture of Luka Doncic with a beer in his hand, uh, and everybody assumed that Luka was out drinking the day before Game 1. The Mavericks had to put out a statement to TMZ saying, "Eh, that's an old photo. That's that's not from before Game 1. But I like to think Luka Doncic probably plays better in the NBA when he's had a beer or two. (laughs) Yeah. Like you know, it's like me producing the show. That's some chicken wings. Is that a beer? Like I feel like that Luke is the type of guy that probably plays better that way. So maybe they should have let him drink yesterday, and things might have gone better. That would have been a much better game.
0: Can you tell my boss that
1: I also? Jared, you showed up at 6:58 for a show this week. No, I'm not telling my boss that. <laughs> I coming slept, up next, I slept really well. Mike Gravala joins the show. He's never
2: seen a steak that is too gray. He once ate half a box of Cheez-Its for lunch and finished off the other half for dinner. He has eaten exactly one taco in his life. He is Mike Grillmala.
3: Have tacos changed that much since I tried one? All right,
1: Mike, you actually, we have something important to figure out here. Uh, you have been offered the first official role in my wedding, um, and that is to be my dog's date and take care of Ruby at the wedding. And I, I assume you were going to accept it, but, but are you going to accept it?
3: Uh, when is this wedding happening? We're we talking like <laughs> sometime in the next, like, five years? <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Uh, because if it's happening, because you and I both know, I will not be able to find a human date oh. in such a short time frame. So if it's <laughs> happening anytime, you know, soon this year, next year, uh, yes, I will be happy to go with your dog.
1: Um, by the way, taking care of my dog does not preclude you from having a human date as well, as long as that person is not like allergic to dogs.
3: No, no, it does. It does. Because, it you know, Ruby deserves, that kind, of a, it, Ruby deserves uh, that kind of attention that day. I'm not going to split my, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to split my attentions between her and, you know, two dates, you know? So it's, you're uh, accepting? I don't want a sitcom situation where I've got to be running between two dates and pretending to be a different person. You know what I mean?
1: I mean, yeah. You think you got to be a different person for Ruby?
3: Well, if you're, I wouldn't want, you know, they, they can't find out about each other. Ah, that's the, That's how oh. it works. And you sort of run back and forth, and you've got to think of excuses to be in two places at once. And I don't need that kind of stress. It's your day. You know. You're, you and Brandy are supposed to be the show. It's not supposed to be my madcap adventures with, with two dates.
1: So on the condition that you don't find a real date, you have accepted the
3: offer? I, I've accepted the offer outright.
1: Oh,
2: okay. Oh, okay. okay. You're not going to try for the other side.
3: <laughs> this gives me an excuse not to try. No. Okay. All
2: right. All right. Okay.
0: We need we need a like, like a focused, aggressive Tinder campaign in order to get Mike Ramallah a date for this wedding.
3: And we don't need we we don't need that. I'm spoken for. I've watched Ruby before. Uh, <laughs> we have a good rapport. Uh, I love Ruby. I'm going to have a really a really fun time at your wedding. I'm I'm happy for you. By the way, congratulations. Thank
1: you. All yeah. right. Uh, you also have some explaining to do. Uh, what the hell is canned bread?
0: Oh my god.
3: Oh, canned bread. Um, Canned bread is a regional thing um, around uh, Boston, Massachusetts, New England. And I've actually never tried it before, but I saw it made the rounds on social media a while ago. People were sort of uh, weirded out by it. I've always seen it on the shelves, the grocery store shelves growing up, but I never tried it. But uh, I was in uh Massachusetts recently. So I was I saw it in the grocery store. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try this bread. And I never try things. So I was like, I'm gonna try this, I'm gonna put it on Twitter. Um and that's gonna be like my big thing that I do on my vacation. So uh what a vacation. I did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I did, I made it and you know it was bread basically. It comes in a can. It's uh it's sealed in there. It lasts for up to two years I think. You just you open the can with a can opener. You put it in the oven if you want for a few minutes to warm it up, and then it's good to go.
2: So you can toast it and everything, like real bread?
3: Yeah, you can eat it straight out of the can, which I did with one of the slices. Then you can you can put it in the oven. You can microwave it in a few different ways. You know, it's, it's bread. You can do anything to it <laughs> that you would with normal bread.
1: Oh, man. Do you have to make, like, circular sandwiches out of it because it comes in a can?
3: <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it's sandwich bread. That's a, that's actually a good question. I just warmed it up and then you know what? put some butter on it.
1: What? Do you, what do you mean? You don't know if it's sandwich? What the hell does that mean? How is it not sandwich bread?
3: I, it's sort of like the. It's sort of spongy. <laughs> you know, it's very dense, but it's also spongy. So I don't know if it's like a good sandwich type. It's sort of like um, it's got the consistency of a really really thick cornbread, kind of. So like, oh, can you yeah. imagine, like, two slices of cornbread-style? Yeah, I, I, yeah. like, yeah. I got okay. I, I, mean, I, I then, hear then, you. Then, yeah, so, um, no, I just ate it as, on, as a side. But so,
1: it was good,
3: you know? It was, it was fine.
2: Aside to the green beans? <laughs> yes. Or to the apple pie?
3: <laughs> to both. <laughs> to both. <laughs> okay. there, That's your nutritious yeah. there, meal. Th- th- the, the, the bread was kind of the show. Like, the bread was what I was yeah. trying. So I guess it was a side, but the bread was the main attraction.
1: <laughs> so you did not grow up eating canned bread. This was not like a staple in the Grimala household.
3: No, no, no. I grew up uh, eating normal normal bread. Bread is okay. not what turned me down my current path of being <laughs> a, a, f- a food psychopath. <laughs> I'm glad
1: that the canned bread was the big show of your vacation. Um I know you went to one of the Celtics Bucks games. They've now lost Game One of the Eastern Conference Finals. Are are they done for?
3: They're done. They're done. Oh They're man! Done. No. They, they, every you know, it's every year. It's like it, We just they say the luck of the Irish. I'm looking for it. Where is the <laughs> luck? Where is the luck for the Celtics? Why are, why are they injured every year in the playoffs? Why do they Why are they never the healthier team? Why does every bad thing happen to the Boston Celtics? It's tough to be a fan sometimes, man. I don't like being a fan. This they is a, just, like the one team that I actively cheer for, and I, I hate it.
1: They just played the Bucks without their second best player. What are you talking about? Where's the luck?
3: I mean, the Celtics were also without Robert Williams for, for that pretty much that entire series. They're without Marcus Smart for a game. Uh, they lose a game on an improbable uh, collapse with a, a missed uh, free throw rebound. It's they. Nothing ever seems to go their way in the playoffs. I I should have been born 50 years earlier so that when they were really collecting championships every year, that was the time to be a Celtics fan. The time to be a Celtics fan is not now.
0: You're canned bread
1: hot 50 years ago? Was everybody eating canned bread 50 years ago?
3: I assume it was even more popular um, back then (laughs) when, you know, keeping bread fresh was a serious issue. You know, I assume, uh, you know, politicians were campaigning on who can keep bread the freshest. Back then because you know technology wasn't where it is now um so yeah canned bread boston celtics championships a thing of the past in new england still around you can still find it uh, but it's not like it was in the good old days
2: you started your unlv breakdowns uh anyone that stands out that you didn't think would stand out
3: you know i was uh, looking at you know, Jackie Johnson's games from last year. He is the point guard that they're bringing in from Duquesne. And so he stands out among all the other guys in terms of what I think they're going to bring to the team, just because he doesn't fit like those, the mold of what you think Kevin Kruger wants in his players, like everyone else that he's recruited this year, especially in most of the guys last year were long defensive minded, energetic defenders, Guys were really going to get after it on the defensive end. You know, maybe some offensive warts, some offensive uh, issues that they're going to try to fix and coach up. But defensively, all those guys are there, and you can see it, obviously. And Jackie Johnson is just like the complete opposite. He's, he, he's going to come in. He's going to launch a bunch of shots. He's going to make shots. He's instant offense, but on defense, I don't know how he fits into what they're they're trying to do. He's a smaller guy. He's five foot eleven. Not a great on ball defender. I mean, he tries out there, but he's, you know, small, short arms. He's not going to give you much on defense. So I don't know how he fits in with a team of all defensive minded players and then, you know, one microwave guy off the bench. Maybe that the formula works. Maybe that's his role. Uh, but he's the guy that has, has stood out so far as I get started here.
1: So he has the floor of being a guy that never plays because he's not good enough defensively, but the ceiling of like the most important player on a team that might not have good offensive players because he might be the best offensive player.
3: Yeah, if you well, if you look at what happened to them in their Mountain West tournament loss to Wyoming, I mean, Jordan McCabe and Ke, uh, Keyshawn Gilbert combined for you know what, probably fifty something minutes, and they scored what two, three, four points combined. It was point guard. They just got no offensive production out of that position last year, and it really hurt them. So I guess his, his ceiling would be maybe in a game like that, if you get into uh, a game where you know Jordan McCabe and Keyshawn Gilbert are not giving you anything offensively, you throw Jordan uh, Jackie Johnson in there for two, three, four minutes, tell him to put some shots up, and if he's hot, boom, he juices your offense, you get ten points out of him in one half, and maybe that's the difference in that game. If, Keish- if uh, Keyshawn Gilbert had come in and given them 10 points really quick off the bench in that game, you know, you probably would have won that game. So maybe that's what they're thinking with Jackie Johnson. He's the guy we throw in to loosen up the defense when we really can't get anything else going.
1: Five points from those two on one of 10 shooting in the loss to Wyoming.
3: It's. I mean, if you're going to point to something that cost them the game in the end, I mean, that's probably it, right? So if you can give yourself at least another option. A high-end option um, in that role, I think Jackie Johnson can do that.
2: You put out your projected starters at this very moment. They still have three. They still have three uh, scholarships. Donovan Williams is not on there. What do you think?
3: Uh, I think Donovan Williams is probably going to stay in the NBA draft. Um, so, without him, I think your your best options maybe three guards. They've got three between Keyshawn Gilbert. Uh, Elijah Harkless and uh, Elijah Parquet they've got three guys who are really good defensive players at the point of attack there were you could roll those three guys out there and match up against pretty much any backcourt not a lot of size um, which is where Donovan Williams would help Williams playing with those three guys would be a really strong defensive lineup but uh, yeah I don't expect him back he still could return Um, he wasn't invited to the NBA combine so It's probably not a good sign for how the NBA views him at this point, but uh, if he comes back, he'll obviously augment what they've already brought in. But without him, I think you see that if he decides to stay in the NBA or go pro and doesn't return, I think you see Kevin Kruger go a little bit smaller, sort of focus on swarming the ball, uh, strong on ball defense, playing those three guards.
1: Do you think they could get Donovan Williams to come back with a canned bread NIL deal?
3: Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, it was good for what it was, but in the end, it's just—it's bread. It's I think we've got to do better than that if right. you want him back. What about right. what about some sort of licensing deal with Cheez-Its? Can we get Cheez-Its involved? <laughs>
1: well, yes, yeah, it's a nutritious lunch and dinner sometimes for Mike Gramala. Try Cheez-Its. I don't even know if cheese does cheese. Cheez-Its doesn't even promote it that way. They, Cheez-Its would look at you like, "What's wrong with you, dude? We can't say that on a commercial." Yeah, Cheez
3: Its would never use the word nutritious in any. I think they would be taken to court by, you know, they're opening themselves <laughs> up to lawsuits if they use the word nutritious.
1: You're actually going to get called in to testify on behalf of Cheez Its to be like, listen, I've gladly. eaten it for lunch and dinner and I'm fine.
3: Gladly. I would gladly put my freedom on the line. I would, I would get up there and tell the, I would put my hand on the Bible. I would tell the absolute truth. Cheez Its, best thing in this world. He's Mike Carvalho
1: from the Las Vegas Sun, our canned bread expert. Mike, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, guys. Uh, Just to clarify, neither of you have ever had canned bread before?
2: Never in my life. I didn't even know it existed. Did not know it existed. Did not know it existed.
1: Yeah. Thanks to Mike Kermala. He's always um, somehow intriguing us with weird foods. And this one's not even, like, weird in terms of he's never eaten it before. It's just bread just presented in a can, which doesn't sound right. No. He also eats canned
0: potatoes right
1: uh i think anything that comes in a can he's he'd be he's more likely to eat it because it's easier yeah the he yeah he gets a little the little already skinned little balls of potatoes in a can (sighs) yeah yeah coming up next (laughs) the nfl doesn't sound like a fun place to work it's the press box with
0: granny and bischoff
3: what did you want
0: i just wanted jared to shut up to stop his ranting. On ESPN Las Vegas.
1: There was a story in The Athletic about the Indianapolis Colts and how they basically run their front office and their scouting department to get ready for the draft. And here are uh, some details from that. The Colts pour through tape of every prospect as an entire staff debating and dissecting as a group. This year, They took just four days off from mid-December through draft weekend in late April. That's 136 days in the building out of a possible 140 holed up in the same dark room stacking their board player by player. They would go 7.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. on weekdays and 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on weekends. That's a seventy-two-hour work week from December until April, with a total of four days off. Sounds Why like our, would anyone want to do that?
2: Sounds like our schedule around here. My
1: Does goodness. it? <laughs> I mean, the seven-thirty a.m. part, but we're <laughs> out of here by ten.
0: Well, you're out of here by ten. <laughs> yes, yeah, not
2: not poor Jared. He's a, he's eh, Jared a, he, doesn't show Jared, up till
1: eight anyway.
2: Jared obviously
0: doesn't, needs not It could be an NFL. It's seven fifty-four. I'm here, barely. Like you want to do it? Scouts? Do you want to
2: do it because you want to be promoted and you have higher aspirations? Because scouts often go to higher positions in organizations. Not all of them, but is that one of the reasons you would take that kind of job?
1: I guess, but what's? I mean, what percentage are we talking about? Well, here? that's yeah, scouts I mean, that actually get. To the front office. Right. The big time front office job. Because there's a bleacher report had a story about scouts, and just like you're you're not like director of scouting, but just like your everyday general scouts for NFL teams, they make between forty and ninety five thousand dollars a year. So it's not we're not talking about guys that are making like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year that are working twelve hour days and seventy two hour weeks for like four straight months. They're they're making, you know, 40, 50, 60, $70,000 to do this. Like, I, I cannot, I, I guess what you say is right. There's people that they love football and they want to be in the front office. And this is the foot in the door. But what a nightmare. I mean, why, why would you want to do that? That sounds absolutely horrible. And here's the other part of this. Does working a 12-hour day or a 72-hour week even have a better a big benefit over working a 40-hour week?
2: That's like Dave Hall the basketball ref who works like 42 games in a week and we see it in his uh and we see it in the performance. <laughs> you know what like, I mean those those basketball yeah. referees they just you you see one in Hawaii. Uh, I remember um Jay Billison doing the Maui one year. I don't know who the ref was. He goes I just saw this guy in Tulsa last night. I mean, it's like <laughs> they, these guys go everywhere, and then you wonder why they miss calls or why they you know, they, they can't keep up. Uh, why aren't there more scouts in the room?
1: Right. That's my thing. Why, it's
2: like... mean, are there two guys doing this?
1: <laughs> right. Well, surely you've got to be able to hire more people to spread this workout. But, again, one of the details in that athletic story was – they look at every prospect as an entire staff, which just sounds like a terrible way of managing your scouts. You're telling me all the scouts, the Colts have sit down in a room with their director of scouting. And they are like, all right, we're all doing this together when they could just sort of break it up. And yeah. they could say, Hey, you take these 15 players, you take these, like, I feel like that's a way better way to use your time yeah. and actually trust the guys that you hired to be scouts. I just, it seems horrible because there's, Like the other part of this is like there's been studies on the diminishing returns of labor and that it's like I can't remember the exact number of hours, but there's a certain number of hours every week. Like, and it's roughly 40 that once you get past 40 hours, generally labor is not very productive, that you can generally get done in 40 hours what anybody's going to do that's working for 72 hours.
2: Well, and thank God there are limits in some professions in this country where you can't work more than eight hours or 10 hours whether it be, you know, bus drivers, flight, you know, pilots. I mean, you can't work more than a certain amount of hours because, you know, the production would just drop considerably.
1: I just, I wonder if there is any proof for the Colts, and I imagine it's like this for other teams too, if they have any proof that working their scouts 72 hours in a week actually leads to better results for them. Because I I can't imagine they have that. They're just working them to work them at this point
2: how many hours did the raiders in 2020 put in were they going 12 hour days and 72 hour weeks with johnny and uh, the bubble
1: butt it's a lot of hours to suck a lot (laughs) of hours to to not be very good what were
2: they looking at then (laughs) yeah
1: hopefully they only worked one hour a week for that entire time (laughs) because otherwise that was a very poor return on investment